Hey everybody, welcome to Fight Talk. This is Steven Jensen. Um, I'm here with my friend Vincent Garrett, also known as Viga. Um, I know him from back in the time we were at school at Georgia Southern University. Uh, we both worked in radio together and we formed a friendship then and it's continued on. And uh, Vince is a radio personality. You're still in Statesboro, right Vince? Absolutely. Well, I actually just moved to Brunswick like two weeks ago. Okay. So I still like to say I'm in Statesboro because it's, you know, Statesboro kind of has become my home, but I guess I'm a Brunswick guy now. Okay, there you go. So currently Brunswick um, also considers himself a Statesboro guy. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that's, you know, Georgia Southern University. That's where we went to school, and we uh, we worked for 91.9 The Buzz, the, uh, the college radio station together. And what I, I'm going to do for this podcast um, Vince, it's actually mainly Vince's idea, um, and I think it's a great one. So Vince is going to kind of take over this podcast, and I'm going to be more so the guest. And uh, anything he asks me, I'm going to answer to the best of my ability. And I, I don't know, I, I guess we'll just take it from there, Vince. Uh, is there anything you want to say beforehand, or do you want to just go right into it? Uh, right off the cuff, I just want to say that, uh, Stephen, I'm so happy to be here on the Fight Talk podcast, you know, um, you know, you've interviewed some great guys in the past on the podcast here, so for me to be a part of this is an amazing opportunity, and I hope I do you justice here. Dude, and I want to say for anybody listening, and this is something, I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever said this to you or not, um, for anyone who, just, just a little backstory, back when I was in college, this is how good of a guy Vince is, alright, I got a job that I should not have gotten. A friend of mine hooked me up with a job that Vince absolutely deserved. And not only did we become friends, he he just blew up. Like you, you wound up getting like so many other better opportunities out of that. And I never really thanked you for how you handled that whole deal because you got the short end of the stick on that initially, man. And just the fact that, you know, we wound up being cool and then like carried this friendship on even afterwards. Like, I mean, I really appreciate it, man, because I, I'll be the first to admit I, I didn't earn that at all. And and you and you absolutely did. So this is the Fight Talk podcast. Let's not make it the bro love podcast, man. When you were in the job, you did your thing with it. You know, you were really a great promotion director. You were energetic. You were enthusiastic. And you brought your charisma to the game. So I had no problem being a Robin to your Batman. Okay, well, I really appreciate you putting me over like that, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to go right into it. And I'm going to say, I'm going to sound a little bit like a UFC troll here, but I'm going to roll, roll off a bunch of questions to you, and you stop me at any point to kind of set me straight on this whole UFC fight game because there's a lot of questions I have about how things were conducted as far as, as far back as, I think, UFC 200 with Bone Stones and Daniel Cormier, uh, up to the upcoming... CM Punk fight that we have uh, on the agenda still. So I have a lot of questions from that, so just stop me at any point. Okay, yeah, go for it, man, no problem. All right, I'm going to start there at the beginning with the whole idea of Daniel Cormier and John Bones Jones. I know John Bones Jones has had some drug problems in the past, and he's been kind of an issue for Dana White, uh, kind of when you have fights on the docket and you're failing drug tests. They can't put you in the ring like that. I understand completely. My problem is more with the UFC fans. When I'm watching a fight with Daniel, Daniel Cormier and John Bones Jones or Daniel Cormier or whoever they put in the ring against him, what is the reason for the people who seem to like to hate Daniel Cormier? Because I don't think up to this point I've seen him do anything that is unforgivable with UFC. I feel like every time there's a fight, I see him give his all to it. I see him be competitive, and there are fighters like Anderson Silva in the past who I kind of see do a lot of showboating and kind of waste time in the ring, but Daniel Cormier never does that. So in that Anderson Silva-Daniel Cormier matchup, I watched people kind of boo Daniel Cormier when he started to get the upper hand in the fight. What's the reason to hate Daniel Cormier? Is there, is there something that I'm missing? Man, that's a terrific question, and that's a really great observation, by the way, man. So... I, I'm with you on that. I don't understand it either. And <clears throat> it's wild. You know, I, I get the whole, from the John Jones fan perspective, I understand the whole, you know, people like a comeback story. And this guy's probably, athletically speaking, the greatest fighter we've ever seen in history. I mean, he's just an athletic specimen. But he seems to, and this is an uncensored podcast just for what it's worth, he seems to fuck up all the time. 
And it's like time after time after time. And people continue to cheer him. Now, that's a whole other thing, you know, and we could definitely get into that. But to answer your question about uh, Daniel Cormier, I don't understand it either, man. Um, if I was the UFC, that would be the guy I would want as my champion and in the face of my company. Um, if I was as a fan of the UFC, I'm a, I'm a gigantic fan of Daniel Cormier. In fact, I, I honestly believe he's the best pound for pound fighter in the world today. Um, not including John Jones, but but you can't include John Jones because he's going to be serving a suspension for this recent you know USADA violation. So, what's interesting though, leading up to that fight between Jones and Cormier when it was originally going to go down, they were doing all the pre-fight press conferences, and I remember something really sticking out about that that really really rubbed me. It rubbed me the wrong way, and then the, how Daniel Cormier kind of retaliated it, I, I was really impressed by. So essentially, he, Cormier had said during a, a pre-fight interview, a press conference, he's like, hey guys, um, you're applauding John Jones for three months of sobriety. I've been sober for the last 30 years. You know, like, I, I've never messed up. Like, there is no reason for me to have a comeback because I'm not getting in trouble. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. The guy's a former Olympian. I mean, he just seems like an all-around great guy. So to answer your question, I don't understand what, where the boos are coming from. The only thing I can think of is his fighting style isn't as appealing as some of the other top guys. It's a lot of wrestling, a lot of grappling, um, a lot of what you would call lay and pray or ground and pound. So his, his style itself isn't as, um, I guess, entertaining to some as maybe a, you know an Anderson Silva or a John Jones. But he gets the job done, and to me, someone who's a, a former amateur wrestler... I think his fighting style is incredibly entertaining, but I think I'm in the minority as far as that goes. Okay. So, I mean, uh, that gives me a really good idea of Daniel Cormier. It's not necessarily his personality or anything he's done. It's just generally the way he fights is not may not be the most flashiest of uh, styles. So it gets kind of, his, his matches can be kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. And as far as personality goes, I mean, I think he's a great guy. But, you know, it's weird. You know, some, sometimes the most appealing guys sometimes are, are the guys that have more of kind of like the thug persona or somebody who maybe is kind of like that rebel against the authority. Someone like, uh, like uh, Floyd Mayweather. I mean, he does bigger pay-per-view than any of them. And he's like the worst human being there is as far as like athletes go. I mean, he's just, he's constantly getting in domestic disputes. He's, he's, I, I shouldn't, I'm not going to go that far into it. But my, my point being... There's guys like it's like these guys like John Jones and Floyd Mayweather seem to get all this love, but then there's guys like Daniel Cormier walking the straight line and and not saying you know fuck you to my employer or fuck you to the fans. He's just out there doing his job and you know he's got kids. He's he's a very well educated man. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Daniel Sowerson has interviewed him a handful of times out in New Orleans for the uh, the Pelicans. And okay. yeah, and Daniel, I mean, same thing. He's like, this is like the nicest guy in the world. He's from the the Lafayette area, I believe, um, up there in New Orleans. So everyone I've ever talked to that's interacted with the guy, it seems like he's a great guy. So I honestly believe it's his fighting style. And I think it's, it also depends on who his opponent is, because if his opponent is someone like John Jones, um, or maybe like an Anthony Rumble Johnson or, or someone like that who has the ability to, to just knock you out cold and they're, they're more flashy, they're a bit of, a, a more cocky, arrogant. They seem to get the love over Cormier for, what, for whatever reason. Certainly. Now, um, I'm going to stick to the um, idea of personalities and attitude because it seems to me, uh, just from my perspective, I'll start looking in, that Dana White seems to have this uh, thing where he likes to kind of uh, steal talent from the WWE guys who are kind of already set in their personalities and in their um, I guess bravado guys like say a CM Punk or guys like Brock Lesnar who already has this personality that's set you know you don't come across many Conor McGregor's who Conor McGregor came in and his game was together right he has a kind of personality that can really sell a fight Brock Lesnar is kind of that guy who has that but it was all kind of built up by WWE, and Dana White seems to be able to call Vince McMahon at any time and say, hey, you loaned me Brock Lesnar for a fight, and Brock Lesnar can kind of hop over 
and beat Mark Hunt and then hop right back to WWE. Um, if there's some sort of a deal with WWE and UFC, or if Dana just not really good at kind of developing personalities of these fighters, uh, why does he feel like, um, say, because when I watch Brock Lesnar fight, uh, he's the peak of athleticism. Um, I can't say I necessarily love to watch him fight because he's such a big, hulking man. It's really sometimes it's really hard for me to get into a fight with him because it feels like every single circumstance is leaning his way. So you have a guy who looks like Brock Lesnar and a guy who, uh, for lack of a better term, looks like Mark Hunt, who is like a guy who's over forty. Obviously, he's uh, a little bit over that hill. You know, I mean, why would you put Brock Lesnar, who is kind of a just a beast? He's a monster. You put him in the ring with Mark Hunt, who I did, I never thought could stand up to Brock Lesnar, even before hearing about the supplements or whatever Brock Lesnar took. But Brock Lesnar is such a hulking man. I never see them put him in the ring with real competition, unless it was uh, I believe his name is Frank Mir. Yeah. They always have an interesting fight, but I feel like they always put Brock Lesnar in the ring with these guys who I'm never sure if Brock Lesnar is going to have a, a battle with these guys. I always expect Brock Lesnar to just destroy whoever he's in the ring with. Okay, so yeah, so to touch on some of those points you brought up. So the first thing I want to um, kind of touch on, as far as a re- relationship goes between uh, Vincent Mann and the WWE and uh, Dana White with the UFC, um, the the cases with CM Punk and Brock Lesnar are very different. Um, the reason being, Brock Lesnar is is a contracted current wrestler for the WWE. Um, so he was loaned by the company over to the UFC for UFC 200. Um, CM Punk legitimately quit the company around two years ago, maybe a little longer. So he was legitimately done completely with the WWE. He left as a very disgruntled employee. Um, that doesn't have anything nice to say about the company or professional wrestling in general nowadays. Um, but, but a guy, even though he's disgruntled, is he still he is still under contract though, right? No, no. CM Punk is not under contract with the WWE. Oh, he's done with WWE completely. Yeah, he's been completely done since January of fourteen, I believe. So he's he's been done and kind of off the radar. Um, he left. So his without getting too in detail about how he left, essentially. CM Punk quit the company while he was still under contract, and then it was about a year or so until he finally got his actual release from the company. So he was in like this whole legal dispute with them beforehand, but he was a free man uh, right around the time, right before essentially the time that the UFC announced that he was going to be fighting for the UFC. So he his his split with the WWE is a clean split. Brock Lesnar is a current under contract performer for the WWE. So his case is different. And for what it's worth, Vince McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, Shane McMahon, Triple H, the, the people who are in charge of the WWE, they did not want Brock to do this. They did not want him fighting at UFC 200. But he has such a stranglehold on that company from a financial promotion, just recognizable you know, performer standpoint, he can really kind of do whatever he wants. And he basically strong-armed his way into that UFC fight. So what the UFC, what the WWE did was say, okay, Brock, we don't like this, but we're going to let you go do this one fight because it's a huge payday. I believe he makes, I could be wrong, but I believe he makes $5 million a year for the WWE and he only has to perform a handful of times. He made around 10 for one UFC fight. So this was like a gigantic payday for him. He wrestles for the WWE on a very limited basis, usually once every four or five months. Uh, so, so it's one of those things. Like Brock is just a very, very special case, and he's such a huge pay-per-view draw that I think that in the WWE's mind, they were thinking, well, UFC 200 is the biggest show that UFC has ever done. It's going to be more eyes on Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar will be introduced as a WWE superstar. That'll, you know, in turn, bring more eyes over to our product after the fight's over, especially if he wins. Now, nobody could foresee this USADA violation, you know, the two drug tests that he's failed that we know about, um, and all the negative publicity coming from there. But from the WWE perspective, they're not taking any course of action with that. He's still going to wrestle Randy Orton at SummerSlam later this month. Uh, they claim he's a part-time performer, so he's not subject to the same drug testing 
uh, somebody like a Dolph Ziggler, for instance, would be subject to. Um, so it, it's a bit fugazi when it comes to Brock Lesnar, to be completely honest. And to your last point about Brock versus Mark Hunt, you know, that was a very dangerous fight for Brock Lesnar. Uh, Mark Hunt's knockout power is ridiculous, and he's knocked out fighters much better than Brock Lesnar in the past. Um, that being said, when you look at the two guys side by side, it, 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 they look like two different species. You got Brock Lesnar, who looks like a you know a white gorilla, and Mark Hunt, who <laughs> right, but in Mark Hunt, who you know looks like he hasn't ever worked out. I mean, it's it's a it's two completely different body types. But I th- I actually really liked the matchup, and and I'm a fan of Mark. I'm a big fan of Mark Hunt. Um, but at the same time, you know me, and so do my listeners. I'm a, I'm a pro wrestling guy at heart, so you know I always want to see those kind of guys succeed. Um, and, and a side note, that being said, I, I interviewed Mickey Gall yesterday. He'll be you know fighting CM Punk at UFC 203, and that was a difficult interview to do because he's such a nice guy that like I can't root against him anymore, and I so badly wanted to root for CM Punk, and now I'm kind of split in the middle. And I'm gonna um, I'm gonna ask about that Mickey Gall interview. Uh, I don't want to give away too much because you want uh, the listeners to kind of go over and check it out. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get around to that. But uh, while we're still on Mark Hunt, Mark Hunt kind of looks to me like this uh, like a retired police officer. He's kind of this doughy man. You, you know, and I don't see the power. And when I saw that he was like 42 or 43, I was like, how much power can he still have in 42-year-old frame? And yeah, Brock Lesnar, who's like uh, throwing John Cena in the air basically on a regular basis. It just seems to me like a mismatch. But I will take your word for it on the punching power of a Mark Hunt. Now, I want to uh, hit on the women um, because uh, I'm a huge Ronda Rousey fan. Um, partly because uh, she's uh, one of my um, hall passes. If ever uh, Ronda Rousey and I were uh, in an elevator together, I'd let her punch me in the face if she kissed me afterward. But uh, my problem with the women's fighters, I feel like uh, Dana White put all his money in this Ronda Rousey basket. And when Ronda Rousey got knocked out by Holly Holm, everything went to chaos. It's like he didn't know what to do with Holly Holm. He put Holly Holm into another fight, and she was immediately beaten. And then you have Misha Tate, who is an experienced fighter, who was then just clobbered by Amanda Nunez. It uh, it seems to me like uh, the women's title right now is just this. uh, It reminds me of a game of throwing up, bust them up, you know, where you play football, you know, and whoever gets the hit gets the match, you know. And I don't know how you book these matches, how you set them up, because remember there was, uh, for a while, Ronda Rousey was kind of going back and forth with this uh, woman cyborg, yeah, who's supposed to be really dangerous, and after Ronda Rousey lost, this suddenly cyborg is not even a competitor to any of these other three women, it's confusing to me. Okay, yeah, okay, so, um, starting with Ronda Rousey. I agree with you. They put a lot of eggs in that basket, um, and it was a very, very big loss uh, for the company. In, in when she lost, I will I'll say the good and the bad. The the good being the the star of Ronda of uh, Holly Holm rather was was kind of born. I, she became almost a household name by beating Ronda Rousey. The bad, of course, being we haven't seen Ronda Rousey since. And we don't know if she's ever going to come back. You know, I'd assume that she is, but we don't have any really indication that she is anytime soon. People close to her are very, uh, very wary to to say whether or not she's training, and they won't book any fights for her right now. So we really don't know what's going on with Ronda. Um, she's another person that's a, a, a huge lifelong fan of professional wrestling. If she ever wanted to leave the UFC. She'd have a job for life in the WWE if she wanted one, and she's actually worked with them in the past, so I could see that happening in the in the future. Um, as far as the the championship belt being you know a hot potato nowadays, I completely agree with you there. Um, now, as far as Holly Holm taking that fight with Misha Tate, some blame you know, could, you could kind of go to the management for you know allowing her to take it and this and that. But what you have to keep in mind is all they were telling Holly Holm over and over again after she beat Ronda Rousey was, all right, let's wait for Ronda. It'll probably be November. You know, it'll probably be Madison Square Garden. You know, so just wait on Ronda. 
Well, in hindsight, it's a good thing she didn't because we don't, there's no guarantee that Ronda will even be back in November. So, like, what's she supposed to do? Just sit around with this belt and stay inactive? And there's in, – in fighting, it's different than, like, the WWE. In the WWE, they have guaranteed contracts and they're paid by the year. In the UFC – Holly Holm's only getting paid when she's fighting, aside from, you know, the outside projects she's involved with or, or maybe her sponsorship deals. But she's only really making the bulk of her, her yearly pay when she's actually fighting. So she wants to stay active. And fed, fighting someone like Misha Tate, you know, Misha wins, but it was a great fight. Um, it was very, very close until the end of that fight. Holm probably would have won had Tate not got that last takedown and choked her out. So it was a very uh, competitive fight. Uh, so I'll leave it at that for the two of them. And then when you look at a, guy, a girl like Cyborg, the thing with Cyborg is that she's – it's, it's kind of complex with her because she's currently the champion in a company called Invicta. It's an all-women's uh, fight organization, and they run most of their shows off of UFC Fight Pass. Cyborg is the champion at 145 pounds. When she fights in the UFC okay. – Okay, so you, so you fall – so so she, she fights at 145 100- Drop weight, I guess. Yes. Now, when now when Cyborg fights in the UFC, because she has fought in the UFC once before, and she's got a, a, an upcoming matchup coming up uh, within the next couple months, again for the UFC, when she fights in the UFC, she fights at 140 pounds. Now, the problem with this, there's there's quite a few. The first one being there's no 140 or 145-pound women's champion in the UFC. So there's no actual division for that weight class. Now... Now, where do you come up with, with a solution? Do you make her drop to 135 pounds? Well, the problem with that is she has a really hard time making 140 pounds. So to ask her to cut that extra five pounds when you're no longer to, allowed to use IVs to, to rehydrate after a weight cut, um, they're, they're constantly checking your weight and making sure you, know, you have a certain kind of percentage of water in your system, you know, X amount of hours before a weigh-in. There, there's all these things. They're actually changing the way – they've recently changed in most states the way you, you actually weigh in earlier now than you used to, allowing the athlete more time to, to fully hydrate because they've learned that a lot of concussions and brain injuries um, have been because people cut all this weight and then they fight so soon after your, your brain isn't getting rehydrated and you're more likely to, to have brain problems because of it. So it, the UFC can't come to, to Cyborg and be like, Cyborg, we're going to make you cut to 135 pounds or you can't fight here at all. She's too big of a name at this point. Like She needs to be fighting in the UFC. So what do you do? Do you make you know women who fight at 135 pounds go up to 140 to fight her? Because that's currently kind of what they're doing. Or do you create a completely separate division of 145-pound women? She's the champion, and now you've, you, know, you start – you know, kind of going one contender after the next. Uh, so, so it, with her situation, it's a bit more complex than just you know, why isn't Cyborg fighting the best? Why does Cyborg not fight Ronda Rousey? Yada yada. It's it's really more so her weight and kind of her status because she's a phenomenal fighter and she deserves to fight the best women in the world, but not at the expense of like killing herself trying to make 135 pounds. Isn't this what they did for Ronda Rousey, and as far as uh, creating the uh, creating the whole uh, kind of league for her? Yes, it is, it's, it's exactly that. Now, now, not only was Ronda Rousey the one who opened the door for the 135 pound division, she's the one who opened the door for pretty much all of women's mixed martial arts. Like because before her, the biggest name was probably Gina Carano, who. Ironically enough, Cyborg Santos, you know, knocked the fuck out, and we never saw Carano again. I mean, she's in movies now; she's doing great. But yeah, Fast and Furious Eight, she's great. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, so she's she's doing great for herself outside of fighting. But after that loss to Cyborg, she never came back. After that, Ronda Rousey was the biggest name that that was you know out there. And Dana White throughout the years was so adamant about not including women's mixed martial arts in the UFC, but then Ronda Rousey came around and he changed his tune, and then he started really seeing the potential in the women fighting, and now not only do we have the 135-pound division, we also have the 115-pound strawweight division, so um, I kind of get where you're going with that. As, as far as, you know, 
should they create a 145 pound division for the women in the UFC? My answer, the, the short answer would be yes, in my opinion, because they have one in Invicta. There's a whole talent roster full of women at that weight class. They're just fighting elsewhere. And you could easily bring them all over into the UFC without any kind of problem. So that's what I think they should do. And if they want to put together, you know, super fights at some point at 140 pounds, you know, then then do it. Now, what they what they didn't want to do, to get back to one of your original kind of points, the Ronda Rousey versus Cyborg Santos fight never happened because you have to look at it like this. When Rousey was the champion, let's say hypothetically speaking, Cyborg does drop down to 135 pounds and beats her and then and then disappears. Then what? Your entire division now looks weak because the champion just got beat and now the person who beat her doesn't even fight at this weight class. So now you have this belt that just really doesn't mean much anymore because the true champion just isn't there. So it puts the UFC in a tough spot to do something like that. I mean, but if Amanda Nunez uh, gets beaten in her next matchup, I'm not sure who that will be. Uh, I'm going to think that the whole division is weak because of the number of uh, kind of hot potato uh, belt tossing that's going on with the women in general. And maybe it's a matter of uh, giving, I guess, these women more time to prepare uh, for their next match. Um, But... I mean, it just seems to me like they're kind of tossing it around. Uh, and I guess maybe, have I become spoiled by the long reign of Ronda Rousey and how dominant she was uh, to the point where when I see the belt going back and forth, it's less exciting for me because it's not one dominant figure? Well, I will say I, I prefer the long title reigns because, in my opinion, and, and you may be a little preconditioned to this because you follow professional wrestling as well, like that's what I think is so great about professional wrestling and, and their championship belts for the most part. Because when they have these long title reigns, it means so much more when someone finally beats them and, and wins that title. Um, so I prefer, I prefer that myself. But at the same time, mixed martial arts being a legitimate sport, that's another thing that's so great about it. On any night under those rules, you know, anybody can beat anybody. So... You know, it makes it a bit more unpredictable. Now, when Ronda Rousey, because you also got to think, when Ronda Rousey was the champion, she also got a lot of negative uh, kind of feedback from fans because people stopped buying her pay-per-views because they were like, oh, shit, I don't want to pay 60 bucks to watch her beat someone in 13 seconds. But, you know what I mean? But but now it's, you know, now it's like, you know, you might you might want to look at it from like kind of the, the devil's advocate perspective and say, well, you know what? It's been Holly Holm. Misha Tate, Amanda Nunez, shit, I might want to tune into this pay-per-view because we, we might see a new champion crown because it keeps happening. But to, to, I, I understand. I see both sides of it. Okay. Um, now, okay, I have a couple more uh, things to hit on. I don't want to run too long here. Dude, you uh, can run. talk a little bit about you, 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 McGregor, too. Sure. And also I want to talk about CM Punk. Which do you want first? Well, I just want to let you know, you, we can do this as long as you want. If it goes long, I can make it a two-parter or just make it a long, a long podcast, man. So don't worry about that. Um, I'll do uh, D- Diaz McGregor 2 first. Okay, awesome. Okay, Diaz McGregor. I heard someone say that Diaz has McGregor's number. Like, McGregor was pre-prepared for the first fight, and someone was telling me that no matter how much McGregor prepares for Diaz, Diaz is so long, he's such a different type of fighter, that McGregor can't really uh, latch on to him in any way that he could um, get the upper hand. Diaz will always have the, have the upper hand. I want you to tell me whether that's true or false. And also, what's the deal with McGregor, UFC, talks of him going to WWE, and... Why is it that you have these great personalities, but Dana White, who uh, loves to steal these great personalities from WWE, um, won't let a guy with the type of personality that Conor McGregor has, um, why is there so much bending with Brock Lesnar and no bending with someone like McGregor, who just says, hey, you know, I know I have to do a promo, but I'm focused on preparing for fighting. Um, why, why do you want to... Why do you want to put your elbow down on this guy and not this guy? Because to me, Conor McGregor, uh, I guess as a layman's, uh, layman fighter, Conor McGregor is a bigger draw to me because he's not tied to WWE. I don't have to worry about, um, I guess, that idea of 
Brock Lesnar kind of being this uh, shield, for lack of a better term. Conor McGregor is a guy who I didn't know much about. He kind of blasted onto the scene with his great um, way of speaking and his great kind of uh, fight talk, um, uh, no pun intended, and his way of uh, kind of taking over every room that he's in in order to promote the match. Why is it that Dana White wants to hunker down on those guys about promoting the fight, but somebody like Brock Lesnar can be dropped in seemingly a week before he's supposed to fight? No promo, no, uh, you know, and, you know, why is he so hard on Conor McGregor and not Brock Lesnar? All right, so to answer your first question, um, short answer would be true. I think that Nate Diaz is a terrible matchup for Conor McGregor. Um, You also have to keep in mind that their first fight... McGregor had an entire training camp. He was prepared for Rafael Dos Anjos. He was supposed to fight for the, the championship at 155 pounds on that show. And Nate Diaz, I believe it was 11 days notice. He was vacationing in Mexico, wasn't training. I mean, the Diaz brothers are always in great shape. They do triathlons, and, and you know, they're, always, they're always ready to fight. But they're, they weren't in fighting shape. Or Nate Diaz, rather, wasn't in fighting shape. And he went in there on 11 days notice, and decisively defeated Conor McGregor second round rear naked choke. Now, that being said, Conor McGregor tagged Nate Diaz with a lot of punches in that fight. And and it was actually pretty surprising. Anyone who watches Nate Diaz knows he has a he has a granite chin. He very rarely gets knocked out or rocked. But McGregor landed a lot of really clean shots that would have put out a lot of people. So I'll give him credit there. But at the same point a guy like Nate Diaz with a full training camp like he's going to have for UFC 202, I don't think he's going to get hit at all. And if he does, it's going to be way less often than the first fight. And Nate's skill set as far as his his technical boxing and especially his jiu-jitsu, the, I'll hone more on the jiu-jitsu when I, when I make this statement. Conor McGregor, and mark my words, as long as Conor McGregor is an active fighter, he will never reach the level of jiu-jitsu that, that Nate Diaz has right now. It's just never going to happen. Diaz has been doing it for way too long, and he's way too good. So if the fight hits the ground, it's over. The second it hits the ground, you know it's done. He, he's McGregor's toast. So to answer your question, I think 8 or 9 out of 10 times, Diaz beats McGregor. I think McGregor has that puncher's chance because he his left hand is a piston. He can put anyone out with that. But... I really don't see him beating Nate Diaz. Now, to get into the Conor McGregor uh, kind of WWE talk that, that you're getting into, um, did you see where he had mentioned that, you know, he he essentially said all WWE fighters are pussies. I'd, I'd beat all of them up every day of the week, twice on Sundays. Did you see that? Yeah. Okay, so a lot of a lot of wrestlers have come out and are, you know, were very offended by that. You know, they're all calling out McGregor now. Dana White's not ignorant to that. I, I think I think it's a little too early in this process. He's too big of a... I guess the big difference would be this between a guy like McGregor and like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar was an established name in the WWE before he was ever a part of the UFC. He was already known as this pro wrestler and he had this relationship with Vince McMahon in the WWE before he ever got into mixed martial arts. Conor McGregor is a guy who's still at the top of his game uh, popularity-wise... He's got a lot of big matchups that he can do, win or lose. He's still making a lot of money for himself and for the company. I I would not be surprised, though, if they allowed him to do something with the WWE because they allowed Ronda Rousey to take part at WrestleMania a couple years ago. She didn't wrestle, but she she threw Triple H. Uh-huh. Yeah, she hosted with The Rock, right? Yeah, well, yeah, they had a segment in there, uh, and uh, yes, her and The Rock were in the ring together. She hip-tossed uh, Triple H, and she uh, put Stephanie McMahon in a standing arm bar. So, I mean, that was really cool. I think, and you also have to take into consideration, McGregor's a young guy. I mean, there's plenty of time for him to do his thing in the WWE, because he is a pro wrestler at heart. I mean, him and guys like Chael Sonnen, they're, they're professional wrestling characters that are mixed martial arts fighters. And McGregor, what's so funny to me about all these fans getting so butthurt about what McGregor's saying, it's like, to me, I'm thinking, like, what, what do you guys think you're watching when you watch pro wrestling? That's all this guy's doing. 
he's he's trying to create interest. He's trying to get people riled up. He's he's doing he's cutting pro wrestling promos. Like I don't see any I don't see anything wrong with it. He's all he's doing is making himself an even bigger name. And when you got guys like Roman Reigns going on Twitter, like oh you're the size of my leg, I'll beat you up, midget. It's like that's hilarious because maybe you would, but you're also way bigger than he is. But I still think McGregor would whoop his ass. I mean, so there there is. There's there's a lot of matchups I'd like to see McGregor in in the WWE, and who knows we might see him. You got to think, you know, they got Floyd Mayweather to wrestle the Big Show at WrestleMania one year. Uh, they're gonna have Shaq wrestling Big Show at WrestleMania 33 this year. I mean, you you can never say never. Um, but I would put McGregor up against a guy like maybe like a Dean Ambrose or a Roman Reigns or something like that. Someone else who you know, can kind of play off of and. Uh, I, I think we're being a little short-sighted and thinking it's never going to happen because I think there's still plenty of time for that to unfold. I, I think before it's all said and done, Conor McGregor will have a, a match in the WWE sometime in the future. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because, like you said, Conor McGregor is so great when it comes to uh, the things that he says and how he cuts a promo. It's everything he says. I hang on his every word, and it's just like a diss session whenever he's there. So I just I love seeing him. Uh, I love seeing him on mic, and I would love to see him in the WWE on mic. I can't imagine if you give him uh, the free reign to kind of say what he wants to say in the WWE, he'll really tear some people apart. Um, but uh, to move on to Mr. Uh, C.M. Punk. Here's my problem with CM Punk. Uh, 30, 38, 37, I think is what he is. It's kind of late to be going into UFC, in my opinion. Um, I think um, at 42, Mark Hunt should never have been in the ring with Brock Lesnar, and that's before the information that you gave me there. But to start your first fight at 37, uh, what are the chances that you give him? Because uh, I'm a little bit nervous about what so what happens to CM Punk? I feel like if he loses this fight, everything changes in my eyes when it comes to CM Punk because CM Punk is kind of one of the guys, of course, with the pipe bomb promo that he did in WWE. And even before he was in the WWE, the work that he did earned the respect of his peers and all of his fans. What happens to CM Punk if he loses this fight? That's a great question. Um... I'll backtrack a little bit towards, you know, you hit a lot of good points there. I, as far as the chances I'm giving him, I'm giving him um, a, very, a very small shot against Mickey Gall. Uh, I, from what I've seen of Mickey Gall's fights, the, the two professional fights that he's had, I can't imagine CM Punk being able to handle that. Now, as far as CM Punk fighting in the UFC, I give him all the respect in the world for trying this because we have to keep in mind, this is a guy who left the WWE on his terms – He's financially set. I mean, he doesn't have to work another day in his life. He's got all the money he needs. He's got a, a beautiful wife, um, the former AJ Lee from the WWE. Um, he's he's got it all. He he does his thing, and he works for like uh, he helps do comic books for for certain companies. He helps design T-shirts, this and that. He's 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 good to go. So the fact that he's even willing to try this, this is more so him testing himself to see if he can do this because he's been a fan for so long. He's trained in jiu-jitsu for longer than more, most people realize. And I think he, this is just one of those, you know, this is kind of the cliche classic example of I don't want to be on my deathbed and just wonder what if I had tried this. So I give him all the credit in the world there. Now as far as him losing to Mickey Gall, if he does lose – Yes, his stock drops, but I believe he's signed to a multi-fight deal. So it's really going to be up to Punk whether or not he fights. The UFC's not going to cut him. He could go out there and get punched one time in the face, go down out cold. If he wants to fight again, they're going to do it because there's money to be made with CM Punk. He's the only guy outside of a Brock Lesnar and maybe a Conor McGregor that he's going to outdraw everybody else on the roster because of the. you got to think, you're going to have the fan base of you know the 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 casual UFC viewers who just watch pay-per-views. You're going to have the hardcore fans that watch everything. You're going to have the WWE fans who might not even watch the UFC, but they're going to tune in for that. And then you're going to have just a whole bunch of people who, who have heard, hey, there's this WWE fake wrestler fighting um, on the UFC. I'm going to tune in and watch him get his ass kicked. So he's hitting so many different parts of these demographics that 
I'd be surprised if it doesn't do a hundred plus a million plus pay per view buys. If it if it doesn't hit over seven hundred, uh, just to give you a good example. A, a good UFC pay per view is gonna do like six hundred to seven hundred thousand views, like a good one. Uh, a great one does a million plus. The best one did one point seven million. That was UFC one hundred. So. If they do even in like the 750,000 to 1 million ballpark with Punk, he's going to be able to fight as long as he wants to fight because he's he's just a he's a draw. Now, that's 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 wishful thinking though. The other thing I want to mention though too is you, you got to look at a guy like Brock Lesnar. He was doing a million pay-per-view buys plus every time he fought until he lost. Then when he fought against Alistair Overeem in his last fight, it was closer to the 500,000 mark. So that would be the kind of the, the devil's advocate perspective to what I just said. I, I believe that the pay-per-view numbers for him would stay strong, but there's also proof in the past that a loss could, could hurt your marketability. But that's still, even 500,000 is still a really good number for, for a UFC pay-per-view. A guy like Demetrius Johnson isn't... He, as as phenomenal of a fighter as he is, he's not doing five hundred thousand if he's main eventing. So, um, I I don't know if that answered all, all all points of your question or not, but I I think that uh, the short answer is there would be you know CM Punk. I I really don't think he's going to beat Mickey Gall. If he does, uh, I think he'd be shocking a lot of people. And we also have to keep in mind we really don't know what he's bringing to the table other than the limited kind of clips we've seen of him training. They're going to start a. Uh, a four-part series starting on Monday about his road to the, to the UFC, and they've been shooting it for around two years. So, um, tune in for that. I'm, I definitely will, and and you know maybe we'll get a little bit better of an idea of what he's going to be bringing to the table. But as of right now, from what I've seen between what he's done and what I've seen Mickey Gall do, I I can't bet against Mickey Gall. Yeah, I'm very interested in seeing how it works. Uh, two side notes to everything that you just said, um, AJ Lee. Um, Best women's WWE finisher I've ever seen. The black what is the, um, the, the it was like the the submission the black widow yeah, or whatever that, yeah that that black widow submission hold I've never seen anything like it it is incredible how she kind of latches it on and it stuck and yeah really great women's finisher but this is not a WWE podcast so um, the but also. 37 is really late for, uh, you know, YOLO. <laughs> you know, uh, so I'm really, really nervous for CM Punk and seeing what it looks like in the match. Here's my prediction on the match. I think unless Mickey Gall finishes the match, wins the match, picks CM Punk up and kind of raises his arm in victory and kind of a, hey, this guy did a really good job. I think that's what's going to happen in this match. If CM Punk loses, Mickey Gall grabs him by his arm, gives him the nice little lift like, hey, everybody, he's one of us, you know, kind of helping put CM Punk over. I think that's what happens in this match. That's my prediction for the end of this match. And that's a great prediction. And uh, for us and for everybody listening, the only way to find out, and I'm not employed by the UFC, but I'll give them plugs because maybe they'll hear this and want to help me out someday. You got to tune in to UFC 203 September the 10th in uh, Cleveland, Ohio to find out, right? Awesome. De- most definitely. Uh, but before we, uh, before we wrap this thing up, really, really quick, your notes on the news about uh, Stephen Thompson versus Tyron Woodley, who I think is, he feels to me like an Adrian Broner, uh, who is the boxer, who has kind of become the new Mayweather. Um what do you think about this upcoming matchup? I think Tyron Woodley is really exciting. He is not uh, Conor McGregor on the mic, but, you know, he said some stuff that I think will really get people riled up and either jump behind him or just want to see him get knocked out. Um, what do you think of this um, Stephen Thompson, the great white hope of the UFC? Um, you know what? I love this matchup. I'm very happy Dana White announced that earlier today. Uh, you know, Tyron Woodley, I was in Atlanta for UFC 201 when he defeated Robbie Lawler. And I, I shouldn't say I didn't give Woodley a chance in that fight, but I definitely predicted Lawler to win that just based on the wars he had been in and how great he had looked uh, over the last few years. But Woodley, the, the what's going to be so difficult for anybody that fights Tyron Woodley is his speed, athleticism, and power 
are pretty unmatched in that division. And to your point, as far as you know, him talking, he's a very articulate guy, and he's a very intelligent guy. He he actually does a lot of uh, like uh, analyst work and stuff for the Fo- the Fox networks when it comes to the UFC. So uh, he he's kind of one of the faces, you know, of the UFC as far as mainstream goes. Now, what I didn't like about when Woodley won the championship is he immediately started calling out guys like George St. Pierre and Nick Diaz. And the reason it rubbed me the wrong way is because he kept he kept pretty much saying, "Oh no, I'm not giving a title shot to Wonder Boy. I'm looking for these money fights. I'm trying to I'm trying to make money. I'm the champion now." But this is the same guy who sat out for over a year waiting on his title shot when other guys, Wonder Boy being one of them, had really deserved it more than he did. And he was the one campaigning for the last year or so. Give me this title shot. Give me this title shot. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't fight in the meantime. He just was just begging. You know, I deserve this. Give me this title shot. And eventually, the UFC did, and he made the most of the of the opportunity, and he won the championship. Now that being said, he's not getting what he wants. He's going to be getting Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I think, in my opinion, one hundred percent, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson deserves that title shot for sure. He's done more than enough to deserve that title shot. As far as the fight itself goes. It's gonna be it's it's a stylistic matchup that's very interesting because I think if Woodley is able to connect clean on Wonder Boy, it might be a short night for Wonder Boy, just like it was for Robbie Lawler. But I'm also not gonna bet against Wonder Boy Thompson because of what he's done to certain guys. What he did to Jake Ellenberger knocked him out cold with a punch. What he did to um Johnny Hendricks knocked him out cold. I believe that was in the first round. Just knocked him out cold. Former uh, welterweight champion. Then you've got you know his performance against Rory McDonald. That was it was a technical. It was a great fight and it was very technical. And Rory is another one of those guys, top two, top three in the division. You know, all the time. And Wonder Boy's style is, it's it's like that next level kind of video game style where like. He's doing he's doing stuff in the octagon that kind of only he can do. So if he can use his kind of his reach and you know keep his distance where he wants it and not allow Woodley to get in close and, and land a big bomb and not let Woodley get in close and, and attempt to take down, I think Wonder Boy's striking is on a completely different level than what Woodley brings to the table. So it, it's a it's a great matchup because stylistically. It, it it just kind of meshes in kind of it's kind of similar to uh, the Brock Lesnar Mark Hunt fight that we've talked about. That was a style versus style matchup. You had the wrestler Brock Lesnar, like the legitimate amateur wrestler Brock Lesnar, and you had the striker Mark Hunt. Either Mark Hunt's going to land and knock him out, or, Mar- or Brock Lesnar's going to take him down over and over again, and he's going to win a decision. In this kind of fight, it's kind of similar. Is Woodley going to be able to land that one knockout punch or get Thompson to the ground? Because if he can, I think he'll win. Or is what is Wonder Boy going to be able to keep the distance and use his unique style to just kind of overpower and confuse Woodley? And if you're asking for a prediction in that one, I think that uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is the next uh, welterweight champion in the UFC after that fight. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, I think I'm gonna stop it right there. Um, Thanks for all the info and input you're giving me. Because as a layman who kind of watches UFC in passing, I don't really keep up with all the fights. Everything I hear is basically what I get from either USPN or ESPN or Colin Cowherd about upcoming UFC fights and the fighters. I'm mostly focused on the promos and the marketing that goes around UFC. Um, but hearing about the fight game and how they set things up and how decisions are made, uh, even though I will still... Um, argue about how people are kind of, especially with women, how they seem to be kind of tossed into this mixed bag, jumbled up and pulled out of the hat randomly. I never know where they come from, but there's always, after someone wins a match, there's always a person standing on the side like, I want to fight you next. But then it goes, okay, not because you asked for it. I'm going to go for somebody totally out of the blue who it just doesn't even feel like is really even in the scope. Um, but, 
you give me a better understanding of uh, UFC and even some even some of a better understanding of the contract negotiations go on at WWE for sure. But um, thanks for your input there, and hopefully next time I'm on this podcast we can talk a little bit about Michael Venom Page because I'm really excited by his moves only from highlights though. You well, know, he's got it. He's got it. Highlights that I'm seeing about him, uh, I'm really excited to see him fight someone who I deem as legitimate. Sure, and he's got a hell of a highlight reel, that guy. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about him next time. Certainly. Right now, it seems to me like, you know, those high school videos you see of, you know, high school football players and all the best plays they make, and, you know, eventually they go to college and you never see them again. Sure. That's what I'm afraid of Michael Venom Page becoming. But right now, I'm really excited to see him fight someone who I would deem as a really good matchup. Cool, and I'm looking forward to that, man. We'll definitely do this again, and I want to give you an opportunity uh, before you leave. Is there anything you, you want to plug, like maybe your Facebook or your Twitter or anything that you got going on that you want people to know about? I, I don't really have much going on right now. I mean, I have, of course, the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, uh, the Snapchat, the everything. is V-I-N-C-E, Vince Vega. V-I-N-C-E-V-I-G-A. Uh, look me up on any of those uh, websites. Um, also, uh, I'm a wedding DJ, so if you have a wedding coming up, I want to uh, play at your nuptials. I do my thing on the ones and twos. Um, but uh, also, I want to say that listening to you do your podcast and, you know, the last few episodes, I've been really watching you do your thing and grow. And I posted today, I don't know if you saw it, that back in 2009, I posted um, Vince Vega Garrett is finally getting that podcast started and then I started and then I stopped in between 2009 and 2016 I've gone up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down about starting a podcast because you know you get really really in depth and there's not one thing I can really just get in depth on uh, like you do here at Fight Talk so listening to you do your thing is really inspiring me to kind of find that one thing that I really want to go all in on and do a podcast on it so Keep inspiring. Man, I really appreciate that, Vince. Thanks a lot, buddy. I really appreciate that. You still still there, Vince? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, good deal. Well, yeah. Yeah, cool. Well. Yeah, that's that's it, man. Um, I'm going to let you go. Uh, Everybody listening, this has been Vince. And, yeah, check him out. Check out his his Twitter, his, his Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. And if you got a wedding coming up, that's your guy. If you don't know how to get in contact with him, get in contact with me, and I will get in contact with him, and we'll make it happen. Absolutely. That would be great. Cool. Thanks a lot for your time, Vince. I'm going to let you go, and um, we'll do this again soon, man. I, thanks, once again, thank you. Totally. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. See ya. All right, everyone, and that was Vince Garrett, also known as Vega, and... I'm going to wrap it up. This has been Steven Jensen. This has been Fight Talk. Uh, Please check me out on iTunes and subscribe on iTunes. Please rate and comment. It goes a long way. It helps the podcast out a lot. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it's at now underscore world underscore order. That's at N-O-W underscore W-O-R-L-D underscore O-R-D-E-R. And everybody that listens, thank you so much, and I'll be back soon. Hey, motherfucker.